0: Sorry about the noise, my neighbour's sanding his deck. My motto, don't work on your deck, play on it. Life's good with a Trex deck, low maintenance with a 25 year residential warranty. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome
1: to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening, right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond.
2: Good morning, Patrick. And the footies are getting a little bit exciting now. I reckon you're only, what, a week or two away from stepping back on the field.
1: Yeah, it's been a while, which would be nice. Heading to, well, hopefully South Australia, borders permitting This coming week, which will be interesting because we've got a 60-hour lockdown period prior to getting into the state. But if you want to go fish over in the water, beautiful waters of South Australia, that's what you have to sort of go through. Redmond, let's get straight into a bit of fishing news and car news right around the country and globally where things sit. And we've spoken at large, Redmond, over the last sort of month um, around the Land Cruiser 300 series and when it's going to be revealed. Cars Guide. Car Advice, a whole lot of sort of publications right around the country have been leaking and drip-feeding images um, that have been spied of the Land Cruiser 300 series. And the the 200 series is going on 14 years now, so it's been around for absolutely ages. And it's due for an update, but we finally have a confirmed date for the hotly anticipated uh, Land Cruiser 300 series, June 10, 2021. This has been posted on the Middle Eastern Social, so we're not getting it in an Australia uh, June 10, Redmond, but it confirms the 300 Series drops June 10, um, 3.30 a.m. Eastern time. It's about time, Redmond. Do you think that people will, will actually go out and buy this car or do you reckon they'll
2: wait and see what it does? Because the past Land cruise has obviously been the dominant tow vehicle in the market. Uh, people are going to stick with what they know or do you reckon people are going to go out and actually spend the money because they're, they're not going to be cheap, let's be honest.
1: No, and this is why it's relevant to, well, clearly relevant to Aussie boaters right around the country. The the 200 series had the 4.5 litre twin turbo uh, V8 diesel and that's going to be replaced, and this is all the information that pretty much all those in the know have gotten so far by a 3.3 litre twin turbocharged diesel V6, which has meant... There's been so many people in the used market purchasing these cars for upwards of 150 grand, which just seems absolutely ridiculous. But it's what we've seen happen in the used car segment over the past sort of five, say three to five months, which has been quite crazy. Um, I think it'll still be a wait and see for us, Redmond, in terms of how it adapts to the Aussie market. They're talking about the payload to increase, which would be a good thing. Whether that means uh, an, an all-round increase in um, towing, I doubt it. It probably sits at that same three and a half tonnes. That's probably the biggest talking point, I think, for for fishers is when is there going to be a general driver, and I'll still include the 300 series as a general driver versus the you know purchasing a, a Ford F-150 or F-100, or you've We're got... Animal. Yeah, or you've got the the Rams, which I think, what, are they started around the 80 grand mark and then they head head north, but they're a lot bigger. When are we going to see something that's comfortably driven around town and parked around town that tows four tonnes? So that's sort of the – I mean, you look at the ranges, they're still three and a half tonnes. Um, same with the Land Cruises, Pajeros, uh, Patrols, all the – my, Amar- my Amarok's are same, three and a half. Yep. When are we going to see uh, something – that can tow four, four and a half tons, which would then sort of bring it brings into a into play. You know, your whether it be your seven fifty North Banks or your, um, you know your your high end uh, cruise crafts. Um, the same with the really big stabies around the country where you don't need an actual truck to tow them.
2: And that's the thing, though, when you're saying you you, you need a truck to tow them, and it's funny you say that, but when you head up chasing those, I guess, fish that people dream of. So like your barrel bluefin tuna out of Portland, or if you head up New South Wales chasing your marlin, or down the lakes entrance chasing big swordfish, you are nearly, like, I'm in a six-meter boat doing that. But let's be honest, it's going to be a lot more comfortable in your 750 North Bank, like you just said, which is a lot bigger. They're capable of handling those conditions. You've got two engines on the back of them. The reliability is there. And the thing is, I don't know how people afford them, but everyone seems to have these big, big, <laughs> massive boats everywhere I go, no matter where you are, where you are. And like you said before, they're all driving around in all these big Rams, and
1: uh, that's why Ram has been so su- and, so successful. I mean, they, they hit the market at a price point that was still south of hundred grand. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And that's like, and it, and it's not oh, everyone's going bigger and bigger in these boat in the trailable boats because of technology with our trailers that's now allowing us to travel so far and also reliability of engines. Like we're not having to go marlin fishing out of New South Wales and hiring a charter boat that has a 40, 40 foot boat to go yeah. out a flybridge to go chase a marlin. People are spending it on a stable craft or a six fifty a seven fifty North Bank because they are com- they're comfortable in all the electronics on the boat and confident that nothing's actually going to go wrong because technology is where it is. Where what, Pat? What do you reckon? it be only 10 years ago. If that, like I speak to old Tony, we, we refer to him on the show quite a bit from Queensley. He used to fish out in the river And I think I used to have like a, a saltwater series Yamaha, which those engines don't ever die. They just don't. But they're using five times the amount of fuel. They can't travel the distances that we're traveling. Where now, if you take, like I've got a friend of mine who has a 115 saltwater series on his little five meter streaker, 5.2. And he goes to Mud Island, which is roughly six to eight Ks. And he's using bloody double the fuel that I'm using in the day, mm. and he's sitting at four and a half thousand revs, and I'm sitting flat stick. And he's with my engine, with the Mercury. He's using I'm using a quarter of the amount of fuel. So with the accessibility that we're getting on the water, chasing all these big fish, you need big boats. We don't need. A lot of people are looking towards big boats and looking towards, obviously, the big vehicles in what you're talking
1: about. It'll be interesting to see once we get this influx of these new Mercury engines, which are 600-plus horsepower. Now, we've yep. spoken about them at large on our show, and you can download any of our Real Adventures podcasts on our Real Adventures app, which is free in the app store for wherever you download your apps. But we've spoken about those. They're north of of one fifty k for a yeah. six hundred horsepower engine. So these are seriously expensive engines. But as you mentioned, Redmond, when you balance that up with the purchase of say a Blackwatch forty or a Riviera forty or a Caribbean, you know thirty five plus, the maintenance that you've got on these boats is is extreme, especially when it comes to the old inboards like. What, your yep. servicing each year is costing you thousands of dollars, and, and, and in many cases, you know, 10 grand plus a year, depending on how old it is.
2: And if, you, and if you're leaving it in the water, which you are leaving it in the water, it's not just like your average servicing that you and I get done on our outboards and whatnot. You've got to think this boat needs to come out potentially twice a year, it needs to get sanded on the bottom off the antifoul that was already on there. And needs to place the antifoul back on. And antifoul, if you don't know, is a product that goes on your hull. And what it does is you can get a type of cancer in your boat, which actually eats into your fiberglass and basically ruins your boat. So, antifoul protects that. It stops the growth of, of, of bacteria, anything in the water from attaching to algae and everything that attaches to your hull. Mm. So, when you pull your boat out, it actually attaches to the antifoul. And then, when they sand, they, they blast it with a pressure washer, they blast as much as they can off. And then you've got to sand back that anti-fowl that was already on there and add up to three to five coats of anti-fowl. So you either pay people to do this or do it yourself, which is, it's not an easy job. i tell you what, you won't be moving your arm for two weeks afterwards, Pat. I used to, I uh, went back when I was a young fella, we had a uh, 36 steve craft and I was chartering uh, with rip charters. And every year, we had every year or twice a year, we had to pull that boat out. And guess what the young decky had to do for three or five days? sit there and stand and Andy Kelly's 36 <laughs> Democrat. So I know exactly what I'm talking about here of how hard it is. So uh, I did it lots of times, but uh, <laughs> it's not a nice job, but it is a costly job just to even get it, to get a boat lifted out in Queenscliff here and then to have it sit on the dry stack. It's just adding up thousands by the minute. So like you said, it's, it's it's a big cost for an engine outlay, but you're also not having that other cost that you just spoke about.
1: Plus if you, if you, if you add into that, the ease and accessibility of uh, servicing with these new 600s, you can service it from the top of the apple without having to take absolutely everything apart. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Redmond Ford's upcoming new generation Ford Ranger. So that's not far from being released and they'll be partnering uh, with Off-Roads Specialists ARB. So accessories will be upgraded, which is great to see. So majority and a, a huge amount of... Um, Car manufacturers now really are looking to to the add to their arsenal, especially in the Ute market, which is so hotly contested. I think it was um, Hilux ended up being the, the highest seller last year, so the competition is heating up. So Ford, working with ARB, to add a full suite of products for their new generation we're
2: range, nearly, Ranger. we nearly a, we're nearly a cars guide today, Patrick.
1: Well, there's a fair bit happening in the, <laughs> in the car space. And to be honest, there has been a huge amount happening in the, uh, the boating and fishing mm-hmm. space. That being said, there was a uh, giant bluefin tuna which was cruising inshore around Florida during the week um quite astonishing to see and it begs the question what's the what's the craziest thing that you've seen whilst out fishing or or at a pier because this fish would have been every bit of 200 plus kilos it was ginormous and it was just cruising in you know four to five foot of water
2: i'm gonna say i fish on average just a rough estimate i reckon around 250 days of the year i reckon close to that between 22 to 50 days of the year why is it that i never see anything cool? <laughs> all these other people who fish here and there they see oh, killer whales in Port Phillip Bay, and they see this and then what you just said then, something swimming around the harbour, there are big tuna swimming around Florida and I see nothing. I just see nothing. It's unfair. I just thought
1: I've got nothing for you there. Well we we saw last week a whale watching uh crew spotted a pod of killer whales launching into dolphins. Uh it was quite <laughs> I don't, amazing I don't to see. see throwing him into the air. I, we once had a uh, a southern right whale come up right underneath our 13-foot tinny uh, and and nodged the bow. It was still one of the most ex- extraordinary experiences I've had with Dad on the boat, and that would have been, geez, some 20 years ago now. It was a while ago. Um, but Showing
2: your age, Patrick. Showing your age.
1: Exactly right. So, you know, those little things are, are special to see. Now, Redmond VR fish, this is uh, quite interesting because – VR Fish and the Lock Sports Fishing Association—they've um, been working hard for the last eighteen months, and they've just install, installed a new twenty-four-seven beach webcam. And this is important for a few reasons, Redmond, but it's going to help their fishing, isn't it?
2: Oh, massively! And like that, that Locksport area is your ninety-mile beach, so that is your prime, uh, your prime shark fishing, I guess you could say. In the in, I'm going to go nearly the country, like. Some of the shark fishing down there on Long 90 Mile Beach is sensational. Some of the fish, the fish you actually, sharks fish, you catch there. Big bronzies, hammerheads, makos. You get the odd great white getting caught accidentally. It is phenomenal for your crazy shark fishing. We'll call them that. But they head down with their drones and they send it out. Now, 90 Mile Beach, we'll, we'll call it oh, that Gippsland area, Patrick. Um, the Gippsland area had a lock, a lock sport there. It's quite a bit of a travel for a lot of people. Not everyone that lives there is the everyday fisherman that goes. There. A lot of people like yourself from Moggs might want to go get a shark or up in who knows, Shepparton, and want to go get a shark and that's where they go. And it's a hell of a long way to drive if you can't if, if you're not that experienced with beach and ocean conditions. This is updating every sixty seconds. So for instance, say you want to head down there, I'd be rather I'd be doing this more in your summer months rather than your winter months. Uh, purely because I went surf fishing during the week and it was absolutely freezing cold and I really lost my toes. But <laughs> it's uh, it, there's more fish you'll catch during the summer months. The sharks come in shore with that warm water. And basically, seaweed is a game changer. And you'll just go, oh, seaweed, that's nothing. Well, seaweed stuffs you from everything. You can't get cars on the beach. You can't get through it. You don't know how what the sand is underneath. You physically can't run baits. You can't sit on the beach because it stinks. Seaweed ruins everything. This is just one prime example. But the camera will allow you to see this before you actually waste your time in going down there. Not only that, you'll also have swell reports. It's hard on the fish when that swell gets massive. So basically, this camera here is a sensational um, thing to put in play by VR Fish and Lockfish, uh, Locksport Fishing Association. So well done to those guys. And anyone that well, doesn't well, want to show up, well,
1: well, well done to Locksport re- because they're the ones that have been fundraising. Them. Yeah, they've done a, a huge amount of work. So... Um, If you do want more information, visit their website, www.locksportfishingassociation.com. They've done a sensational job. Redmond, sorry to cut you off, but we've got a huge show of Real Adventures coming your way. Uh, Plenty more happening after the break, Redmond. See you then.
0: You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood.
1: Welcome back to Real Adventures. Thanks for your company this morning. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood talking all things fishing, boating, and the great outdoors. It's (coughs) time for the Social Club, where we take your questions from social media. If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you shoot it through to us. Uh, We're giving away a Real Brand Fishing hat and a Real Brand Fishing top every single week. The best question gets that. We're starting off this week redmond brian sent through a question g'day boys i've just bought myself a forward steer boat for the first time and i'm having a bit of trouble with tilt and trim how is it best applied so this is one we're gonna we're gonna delve into with a bit of depth redmond but it's safe to say when you're first getting into fishing you're better off starting your tilt and trim right down the very bottom and then working your way back from there once you start to get rolling because you There's a huge amount of information out there and you can certainly work through YouTube and those sorts of things, but when it comes to using it properly, from a novice to an expert, how are you starting um, to educate those getting into a Ford steer boat for the first time and using that tilt and trim for the first time?
2: This is something that I think is probably one of the most important factors to actually learning how to drive a boat. And it starts with about being on the water in itself, as in like getting out of the harbour and what starts before that sorry before actually getting out there it's actually about at the ramp to benefiting yourself with your tilt and trim at the ramp so what i mean by that is when you first get to the ramp you, you've got your engine up you get back into the water and whatnot and you're going to drive your boat off now the first thing that people do wrong is they look in the water okay my engines are not going to hit the ground so they've got the engine just up off the ground perfect that's what you want you don't want your brand new uh merc hitting the ground you'll be you'll be spewing so back it off knock it in gear reverse off now this is where people go wrong is firstly, they put their boat in reverse and all of a sudden, from then they picture it in your head. Put your hand up in front of you right now and then put it on an angle facing exactly how your car and boat will be facing on the ramp. Now, your engine, to stop that from hitting the ground, you're basically thinking that your engine is going to be, the, the roof of your engine, the top of the cowling is going to be flat. Therefore, that's the angle that you, that you don't want to hit the ground on. And as you fall into the water, now put your hand where your boat is flat and now look where your engine's sitting. Your is now pointing towards the front of the boat. Now, that is where your prop is going to be. It's going to be out of the water. That means that you're going to have no control on your boat. And I see this religiously every single day I'm on the water. As soon as you fall off the trailer, be mindful of the depth of the ramp that you're at. Trim your engine down, because that's where you first gain control of your engine, and that is going to allow you to park your boat on the pier with control. Because if you don't have your engine in the water... You purely do not have any control. And that happen, And like I said, this happens every single day at the ramp. I'm, I promise you. The reason I say it so many times is because so many near on accidents because people try and turn and they don't have control.
1: So we've put the boat into the water. We've trimmed the boat. Uh, we've trimmed the motor right down. Now, we've all got, most of us have a gauge when it comes to our tilt and trim. So at the moment, that gauge is showing that the motor is at the floor you can't trim it down any further. So we've started to move out into open water, but our bow is pushing into the the water itself. The hull isn't lifting. So then how do we judge what the right level of tilt and trim is once we start to bring that further north? So we're lifting our prop.
2: Yeah, so now what you want to do is as you get into that open water like you said and you start to go, you need to get your nose up. Now, the best way to start it is by having your engine, like you said, Pat, trimmed all the way down because what that's going to give you is the full feel of basically uh, your boat lifting out of the water. Now, you've got to think that if you go running as fast as you can into the wind and you're, you're running into the wind and your head's down and you're trying to get down, but you want to try and get yourself up above that wind as much as possible. And That's the same as with the boat. It's resistance against you. So you're trying to get yourself up. Now, as you go up further and further, that's when you start to lift your boat, and that means the drag in that wind as such is going to be a hell of a lot less.
1: Clearly, one of the elements that we're playing with here, we want to get the boat on the plane. So with that, we need to work with the right amount of speed. What's the right amount of speed to work with as we start to lift that uh, tilt?
2: So the, be- the best way that I like to give you an example, and I-, I go on a lot of people's boats and teach them how to drive their boats. Now, what I mean by this is you jump on the boat and you're trying to teach them. Now, on the plane, every boat varies with size of your engines and powers. How I like to, to feel it is uh, 4,500 revs. Four to 4,500 revs on nearly every single boat is going to be roughly your cruise speed. It just always is. Now, as your boat, and what I mean by this, you- you're going to get a lot of feel of your boat coming out of the water. On the plane there. So you put your throttle down, your boat lifts out, and all of a sudden, like you said before, it sits in its planing position. If you get your nose out of the water on the plane as such and get it out of the water, it's going to save you so much money in fuel. It's going to save you so much money in... in uh, so sorry, sorry. It's going to get you to your spot so much faster by lifting up your nose, and it actually increases your speed So when you've got your, if you just watch your gaze, say, for example, you sit at 4,000 revs right now, it's on your plane, you trim your engine out, just touch it, button to button, and if you get to roughly, we'll call it Pat, roughly half trim, which I reckon will be roughly about right, you get to half trim, I guarantee you that your revs will go up slightly. It'll go up from maybe four to four two without actually revving the boat any faster as you move the throttle. Your speed will pick up from maybe an extra three to six knots, which can be between six to 12 kilometers, and not only that, your boat will ride so much nicer. It's not going to be sitting there copping waves and water flying over the top as such. It's going to be lifted out and sitting perfectly above the water.
1: So, the balance with that clearly is if you uh, trim the boat too far up. Your boat will start to porpoise. You'll start to pound on the water yep. with that almost um, rhythmic pattern. So it's trimmed too far up. So the balance there is, if you start to feel that, then you've got to lower it down again, don't
2: you? Yeah, and not only that, you'll also feel it through feel it through your steering. So what will happen is when your steering gets really light, that means you've probably trimmed it too far. Also, so if your nose starts to get real light on, real nosy, so you're getting real like too nosy on top, that you've you've trimmed too far. You want to have a firm control on your steering wheel, and you want to have firm. You want to have the boat sitting firm in the water, but not tucking in. Now, this also comes into a massive variant with uh, your, your swell direction, your wind direction, everything like that. So, if I'm off Portland right now,
1: which is which safe to say, if you're getting into boating for the first time, do this in flat, calm conditions. So you're just yeah, right. you're adjusting your trim and your tilt with just little touches on the on your buttons, so it's not massive increments so you can actually feel all right this is the right movement it's not too much um of playing with your trim and then you sort of you start to get that that little sweet spot when it comes to your boat's feel on on tilt and trim
2: yeah it is and and when you're offshore for instance just an example there's a lot of people out now going offshore pat like there's more people than ever and if you're chasing those portland tuna down the southwest coast and you've got a southwest wind at 10 to 12 knots say with a rolling swell behind you You don't want to have your engine trimmed in. You need to lift your nose up because you don't want to be broaching. If you've got it trimmed all the way in, what happens is you actually broach into waves and it pulls you either way and it can be quite dangerous. You want to actually trim your nose up, which if you're in quite calm condition, this will probably be not as much as this. It'll be just a little bit because you do want your boat to sit in the water a bit more. But if you just by lifting your nose, you're going to get such a smoother ride you're going to get a hell of a lot safer ride too because your boat isn't going to be broaching and it's going to make you get there a lot safer. Where if you're going the other way, if you're heading out from, uh, for instance, Portland, heading down towards the southwest and you're heading down that way chasing a tuna and that, that chop and wave is on your nose, you actually want to go the other way because the chop and whatnots trying to lift you out the whole time. So you actually want to have your trim set down uh, a little bit further than what you would have in, an, up in normal flat calm conditions. Trim and tilt is a massive one. You can sit here all day trying to explain certain conditions and whatnot. But basically, you can't have your trim set in just one place for every single day you go out. It just doesn't work. And a lot of people waste a lot of time, money, fuel and whatnot by doing this. But when you get on your boat next time, chuck your hand on your throttle, leave it at four, four and a half thousand reps, and just play with your trim. And you'll feel, you'll actually physically feel your boat come out of the water nicely, and you'll feel it it up and ride so much faster, nicer, and it'll be a lot drier as well, especially in slightly windy conditions.
1: Safe to say, the more time you spend on the water, the more time you spend playing with your tilt and trim, the more knowledge that you'll gain, and you'll gain a greater understanding on on how your boat rides. Uh, Clinton, Aaron, I noticed during the week that you were surf fishing. Take us through your setup. Every time I fish off the beach, I catch nothing but seaweed. Well, you're not the only one, Clinton. Yep.
2: Yeah, well, Clinton, I won't lie to you. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I caught nothing as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we
2: actually, we actually. Uh, I think we actually had it. We had a shark of some sort on. I didn't actually uh, get to see it, but we had a, sh- a shark of some sort on a gummy shark or uh, or whatnot. Now, I live only a few hundred meters from the beach in Ocean Drive, so it was in my restrictions to go down there surf fishing with a friend of mine. And we went down, and we spent just about two hours down there. We were only landed down two hours and. We, the tide was later than what it was meant to be, as in I stuffed up the tides, let's be honest. And I wanted to fish that end of the tide, and that's when we got that bite. But my setup was honestly, I grabbed dad's old surf rods that I used to use as a kid. I uh, don't know what they are. I don't know where they are, but they were not expensive. They were from Kmart. And the, my, a friend of mine had an expensive rod. I was casting the same distance as he was. He probably had a little bit nicer uh, rod tip. But like I said, I always try and save you a dollar or two. You don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars on rods to catch a fish. Now, I don't surf fish every day of the week, hence why I don't have the best surf rods. So I pinched out rods. I went down there. I ran two sorts of rigs. Rig. I had a Pat rig, which is your standard Patnoster, which is, uh, you know, I had braid down to your, uh, to your mono, uh, my, my leader, I should say, with my hook up off the, bo- off the bottom with my sinker on the bottom. So that there was my first rig, my second rod. I had a your standard, I will call it your Western Port rig, which is just, just standard running rig. So basically that there was on the bottom and the other one was up off the bottom. We The the swell was actually a lot bigger than it was meant to be, which made life a little bit hard. So we actually had to up the sinker size. We ended up using 10-ounce sinkers, which is quite heavy, uh, really heavy actually, and they were a little bit difficult to cast. But in saying that, important that we weren't getting washed down the beach and ending back up on the sand, Pat, we wanted to make sure our baits were holding right where we casted them. i will use salmon. The salmon was the one that hooked the shark, which we used salmon off the uh, We had, I used yakka, um, just chunks as well. And we also had some squid heads. I would have liked to stay there another hour and a half, but I wasn't allowed to. So I reckon we would have had prime time. We had a few bites in that last sort of 20 minutes that were there that we had to pack up shop. So basically, it's all oh, the real size. I probably should mention the real size. I actually took my 8,000 Saragosas off my gummy rod. And I chucked them on the surf rods, and they have uh, fifty-pound braid. So that was the gear that I used off the beach. It was a hell of a lot of fun, to be honest with you. And the main thing that I packed down there, Clint, was a uh, was a six-pack of beers because we're only walking distance from my house, with so no one had to drive. So I had me six six Carlton drafts down on the beach, which was nice sitting there talking a bit of rubbish to mate, uh, who was a mate that we hadn't done for a I hadn't seen anyone for a whole week. So uh, get down there in winter because you're going to get yourself some fantastic fish off the beach, snapper gummy sharks and also school sharks which will come in especially this time of year in the winter months.
1: congratulations clint you get yourself a real brand hat and fishing top that wraps up the social club if you've got a question for aaron or i make sure you shoot it into our real adventures pages we're giving away real brand fishing gear every single week we we'll be back right after the
0: break gearing up for dometic enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with dometic Now time
1: for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. It's now time for a gearing up rewind. One of our favourite fishermen and without doubt the best underwater photographer or photographer when it comes to fishing um, in Al McGlashan. Good morning, Al. Welcome to Real Adventures. Good morning, Gents. How are we today? I'm good. I thought Pat was talking about me then and then you jumped on the line.
3: (laughs) No, 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 it's you, mate. I'm just standing with <laughs> yeah. your back for you. Don't worry. How
2: are you going? How are you going well?
3: Not too bad. I've just come back from the Abrolhos Adoles. So, yeah, come back to sort of cold, wet Sydney. It sucks a bit, actually, to be honest. I prefer to be back over in the sun.
1: <laughs> well, we did speak about that off air, so we're going to go straight into that off the top of the bat, the Abrolhos Islands, Western Australia. Um, what were you doing there? Well, I dare say oh, I went
3: over. Yeah, it's, it's always fishing. That's a given, isn't it? So I went over there to fish. I got invited by the Geraldton District sort of offshore club that run a, the Halkar Brollas tournament, which I'd fished actually years and years ago with um, Neil Patrick from Halco And they said, come over and do it. And, you know, for those that don't know, it's off Geraldton, which I think puts that 5 hours north of there And the Brollas is sort of 100... I think it's 122 islands that was made famous by the wreck of the Batavia and all that, which all the guys on board went mad and raped and pillaged each other. And, yeah, it was pretty full on.
1: Fascinating, and, fascinating book as well.
3: Um, oh, it is insane, and yeah. it's absolutely scary how screwed up some people were back then, which actually means that they're still screwed up these days. So it sort of matches quite well. <laughs> but it's it's, it's it's insane. It's a spot that's famous for its um, for its lobster and all that, but it's also got awesome fishing because you got those you know the Lewin and current bring all the hot water down, and then that mo- sort of matches with the cooler waters. So you got things like snapper swimming with Spanish mackerel and blue marlin with Samson fish and. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing spot. So, yeah, I think it's my third trip over there now. And, yeah, it's just one of those things I just love going there every time. Every invite they, that I can get, I get back over there. What about
2: um, when you anchored up overnight? You were basically trying to say about the um, crayfish were everywhere, which Jumping makes me boat. makes me a little bit jealous.
3: Yeah, look, the crayfishing over there is is nothing short of spectacular. Like, we pulled up on because there's quite a few moorings in there. And you're pulling up where the, the plane lands, because they've got a plane landing for the... Obviously, it's for day tourists that are allowed on one of the islands. They're not allowed to campering. So you'd think that'd be hammered. Jumped over the side, swam down to the first little ledge, and there's like 40 crows sitting under it. Just everywhere you look, you know, all these little white tentacles sticking out all over the place. Like, and what
2: type of crabs are these, Al?
3: So these are Western rock lobsters. So yep. you've got the Western lo- rock lobster. then you've got obviously the Southerns, which are down Victoria, Tassie and South Australia. And then, of course, you've got the Easterns, which are up, obviously up the East Coast. Before, the Greens. You know, painted. Yeah. But the other one, the thing is, they're not as big. So they're a smaller crayfish. So, you know, a kilo sort of... To, I think two kilos a big one for them. They don't grow anything like the ones we do down sort of in Victoria and that. But I reckon they all taste as good as each other, I tell you that. The, so com- the funny thing is, because I... Just upgraded all my camera gear, so I meant to be, you know, practicing and getting some some photos and stuff. But each time you dive down, you're trying to take photos of craze. I got my hand reaching around the camera to try and grab one. You know? <laughs> it's just it tough thing. I couldn't. Do I catch one for dinner or do I get a photo? Like this is, these are tough things I have to decide in my life.
1: And knowing you, Al, I'm tipping you grab one for the dinner table. We
3: had a few crayfish. <laughs> we certainly
1: did. I'm glad you brought so, up. Uh, photography, Al, because that was a real reason and a key for us getting you on this morning because we want to talk to you about the keys to success when it is capturing content. Obviously now um, people love taking photos of things and everyone has a a camera phone um, and technology in the camera space has obviously changed a huge amount. Um, That's what Al uses with all his shots on the water. It's just his iPhone. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Yeah, no, it's just a little iPhone.
3: Although, you know, saying that the, the guys activate the um, uh, they make one that for your iPhone that actually takes insane photos. So to be honest, the, your iPhone can work quite well for it, but you obviously put it in the housing before you chuck it underwater. <laughs> they might say they're water resistant, but trust me, they're
1: not. they're not. I've tested it a few times, yeah. So for you, Al, what are the secrets behind the success you've had with the, the images that you've captured? Because one that's it's in the back of my mind, and I always, whenever I think of you, I think of that incredible Mako shot Um, You know, strike zone written under the the bottom of the boat. It was just an iconic image and here's an iconic image. Um, What's it been for you? What's been the challenges and the things that you've learned over your time in fishing and and photography?
3: The biggest thing, and this is for above and below, is to stop fishing and pick up the camera and not, because you get a lot of guys that want to be in front of the camera, if you want the best picks, you've got to take the best picks. So you've got to stop jumping in front of the camera and doing, you know, getting someone else to get a photo of you. You've just got to... like a classic example, years ago I was fishing down in Victoria and a guy goes, Oh, I want a job like yours. And we had, a, you know, Paul Philip Bay had an awesome session on the snapper. They just went flat stick. As soon as they started biting, I just sat there and shot all these awesome action shots. Because what you want in a photo, I call it a be there shot. So, you know, when you open up a you know, magazine or you look at it on Instagram, you look at a shot and go, oh, I wished I was there. That's your ultimate aim. In so whether it's above water or below water, one opposed shot with a dead fish or anything like that, you want that, that moment in time, that, you know, instant action where you're hooked up, you know up in Groot Island or something like that where everyone's on a triple hookup on GTs and you've got that genuine expression of everyone getting excited or an underwater shot like the ones I try and do where you've got the angler releasing the, you know, the fish and so you've got those two worlds combining. You've got to make the effort. It's not just quick happy snaps. You've got to put a bit of effort into it to make it work.
1: Al McGlashan, thanks for joining us this morning on Real Adventures and looking forward to fishing with mates right throughout the season. Thanks, Al. Bloody eight guys. Talk to you. Thanks very much, Al. That was gearing up for Dometic mobile living made easy.
0: Red's Review for Club Marine. Insure your boat with Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call and ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you.
1: Now it's time for Red's Review for Club Marine and the Red's Review this morning, Redman, is the Dometic Hayman 4 air inflatable camping tent. Now, we are actually giving a uh, little bit of a special for our Real Adventures listeners this morning. If you purchase one on Dometic's website and pop in the code DANGER, you'll get yourself 10% off of, and off the back of a little bit of camping I did during the week in the backyard, Redmond. And I must say, I've done a stack of camping Throughout my life growing up, mum and dad were teachers, so every school holidays we'd go away for two weeks, whether it was Cape Conran uh, in East Gippsland, we'd go up to Broken Head um, through the September school holidays. So we'd always spend a huge amount of time sort of gallivanting around the country, and for us it was always caravan parks in tents. But this is the easiest tent that I have ever put up because there are no poles apart from the little visor that sits at the front of the tent essentially so everything else is inflated with the airframe technology there's a pump that comes with the tent it is extremely easy to use you put it in there's a valve so it doesn't it won't push out the other way and i don't know it might take 30 seconds to to inflate each airframe of which i think there's 3 and then you're ready to go it, it's quite incredible so there's there's two rooms in the tent and where the sleeping area is there's actually a divider as well so if you've got kids or you've got another couple there's a little divider there you can sleep two on one side and two on the other um and i was so impressed with just how easy it was to put together
2: now i've got a question for you because i actually haven't seen uh, this product yet what is on the ground of it like is it like you it's obviously air that make it go up and down. Is it like an air mattress on the bottom or is it?
1: No, so this is sort of a bit of a misconception around what inflatable tents are. The only inflatable section of these tents are where the poles would have once gone. So the airframe right in itself. So it's it's basically a cylinder of air that's maybe 10 centimetres in diameter and then that inflates and then that's the only piece that actually inflates. Now
2: I've got a pretty, I'm going to call it a stupid question for you. But it could be a good one. If I set this up, I go to Eden uh, every year with the boys. I mean, there's the religious trip. We can't a tent down there. Now, quite often, I lean the rods up on the tent and whatnot to rig things. We just always do that. I don't know why. I'm just picturing doing it now. But what happens when that treble girl's catching the salmon? Yeah. It's, that, it's, where that, it's where that pole would actually be, but it's actually the inflatable part of it. And does the whole thing go down or what happens?
1: No, so, the, so there's separate airframes that you inflate. So like I said, I think there's three of them on the four air. So there's three separate places that you inflate. So if you do happen to put a hole in one, one, you come with a puncher repair kit, but two, obviously those other two airframes, they wouldn't deflate. So the puncher repair kits there, it's really, really simple to use. But once again, the actual material itself is is really quite strong. It's the same essentially as what you'd get in like an inflatable boat. You know, this isn't just a lightweight material that we're talking about. It's really quite durable. So if you want more information uh, on the Dometic Hayman 4 air tent, head to Dometic's website. Better yet, if you're interested in purchasing it, purchasing it, pop in DANGER as your discount code to get yourself 10% off. And that for Club Marine is Red's Review. <laughs>
0: That was Red's review for Club Marine. Need insurance for your boat or jet ski? Get a quote from Club Marine, Australia's leading provider of boat insurance. Call or search Club Marine to find out more. Ask for a PDS to see if this insurance is right for you. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood.
1: Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for Red's tip. What do you have for us for the weekend, Redman?
2: Well, we didn't want to talk about it too much. We tried to avoid the COVID because we did a bit of talking about it last week, but I've got a good tip. Mate, everyone's
1: over it. We don't want to talk about it. We've had enough of it.
2: No, this is a good tip for those that don't exactly know what's going on or where they can fish or how how far away they can fish from home. Now, regional obviously is out of restrictions as of, um, I think it was Friday, yesterday. Regional Victoria, right. that is. Yeah, regional Victoria. Sorry, and uh, Metro Melbourne is still in lockdown. But now you're allowed to fish. You're Allowed to go further than uh, up to ten kilometres from your house, and uh, for two hours. Now, people will say it's not. A, it's, it's not worth it for two hours. Well, if you live within ten kilometres of a ramp, it probably is. Now, let's be honest, Patrick. How long's a game of footy go for? Roughly two hours.
1: Two hours. Yep.
2: That seems like a, not a bad time for you. Pretty good. You get a bit tired at the end of the game, though, here and there that's but right <laughs> you do it's uh yep. it's a i think two hours I, I think it's absolute rubbish to be honest with you that you're only allowed two hours but that's the rules and rates gonna do what we have to do now to go on to google type in calc and i think google maps even do this as well but calc is the one that i use when i had the 5k in regional here and you literally put your little blue where you are a little blue mark in the middle of exactly where you are it gives you your five or ten kilometer radius and ten kilometers from metro now and this will show you if you can reach somewhere to fish it might be that local dam down the uh down the road that you can go fishing for uh, carp or something in or a little lake it might even be a little river that a river that has uh, some estuary it or some even some small trout or whatnot but just look at it you might see a river running through it and like i said for two hours what are you going to do? Is sit inside again for another two hours? I'd be using that exercise to get out there and have a have a bit of a fish, and that's exactly what I did when lockdown here. I'm i a couple of hundred meters from well, four hundred meters from the beach here in Ocean Grove, and I went surf fishing for two hours, and it's, I spent thirty minutes walking, uh, fifteen each way, walking, carrying all my stuff. But I will tell you what, it was nice to throw a line out. So for those that are struggling, download, or search calcmaps.com dot com, and uh, tuck in your uh, address and see if you can get out there and catch a few fish, Patrick.
1: Nice work, Redmond. Now, the flying gaff this week is heading to our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, but it's not for what you might think, Redmond. Uh, now, let's let's be honest, our pollies have been in the firing line all year, but Scott Morrison, not sure whether it was this year, it might have been a couple of years ago, he once famously said uh, that your electric tow vehicle won't tow your boat. So he was talking about how the, that that technology is just not good enough. Well... In 2022, Ford are releasing their F-150 Lightning Pro. Now, this is an all-electric F-Series truck. Now, the F-Series truck in the States is the most popular car there is. And the Max Trailer tow package, which if you add it to your Ford F-150 when you purchase it, tows four and a half tons or the same as the rival Ram 250. So the same, you know, only a couple of years ago, SkyMail was saying it's not going to tow your caravan. It's not going to tow your boat. Well, these new Fords tow four and a half tons, which is going to tow the biggest of trailerable boats. Unfortunately, though, Redmond, it's going to be some time before we see them in Oz, if at all we see them. So we might even gaff Ford Global as well because we need these things in Australia. They'll travel over 300 k's, um in a in a single charge um well over um but unfortunately redmond we're not quite going to see them in australia anytime soon which is a damn shame if you ask me well i'm not sure if you surprise anyone
2: with Skomo saying something that might not happen because <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if you've been watching the news lately patrick a few things haven't happened <laughs> <laughs> poor our mate uh, what's his name Scott Morrison that's the bloke
1: <laughs> anyway
2: who is, he? who is he again
1: he's a pan mate oh
2: that guy yeah I know you're talking
1: about thanks for your coming this morning on Real Adventures we hope you enjoyed the show we'll see you next week